0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Good morning, everybody. You've nearly made it. It is Friday. You're watching Squawk Box with myself, Steve Sedgwick, and Mr. Cutmore has returned as well. And these are your headlines. U.S. stocks rebound with the Nasdaq posting its best daily performance in over a month. But Apple shares sink in extended trade after Tim Cook warns of a possible $8 billion hit from supply constraints.
2: We see two causes of supply constraints. Uh, One is the COVID-related disruptions, and there's the industry-wide silicon shortages that will continue.
1: Amazon falls after hours as the e-commerce giant reports its first quarterly loss since 2015, weighed down by its stake in EV startup Rivian, whilst the CFO also warns inflation is here to stay.
3: These inflationary pressures have added approximately $2 billion in incremental costs when compared to last year. While we will continue to look for ways to mitigate these costs, we expect they will be around for some time.
4: Good morning, everybody. Elon Musk sells $4 billion worth of Tesla stock in a bid to raise funds for his Twitter deal, but says the move is a one-off and there are no further plans to sell more shares. Asian stocks trading in the green this hour, but brace for their worst monthly loss in two years, while in China, health experts are calling for a more targeted approach for containing the coronavirus.
1: As a school of thought, that when markets go up, it's great. We're in the green. I had it with my team already this morning. Then the, when markets go down, it is bad. I, and I see it all over financial news, and I see it too much on this channel as well, where too many geniuses of the market, too many experts, too many commentators say every time the market goes up, that is great because it creates wealth. I dispute that every time the market goes down it is bad anyone who pushes the market down uh, is, is actually working against the economic interests of companies and the broader economy I, I think that is very very debatable as well so what i like about what we've seen over this last month is that we've seen a downtick uh, and, and i hold my hands up i'm not saying i want to see destruction of wealth I'm quite, quite the opposite The mantra of this channel is pretty much to make money for you guys amongst other things, to give you clarity in the markets as well. So when I see a downtick, I see two things. I see one, a revaluation of stocks that should never have been at those higher levels as well. But two, I see an opportunity for you, the viewer, to sort out one of the oldest sayings in the book, sorting out the wheat from the chaff, i.e. The good companies when they come off on these um, aggressive downtick months, which we have seen and very volatile month at that as well, the good companies will give you, the viewer, a better opportunity to get in at a lower level over the longer term. The bad companies will be repriced and then you can make your decision on those, whether some of those growth companies were ever gonna make money. Whether some of those Russell 2K companies that are really struggling uh, in the bear market now, whether they are actually uh, under a huge cyclical pressure with higher interest rates Inflation, or, again, are they good enough to ride out the storm and you're getting a cyclical opportunity to buy the stock? So don't fall into the trap that so many people on CNBC fall into. And I'll hold my hands up. I think our channel sometimes um, is too ebullient when we go up and too pessimistic when we go down. Let's have a look at what happened in the month anyway, because it's been a fascinating, fascinating, even the week. The week to date on the Dow, we are up 0.3 of a percent. Well, considering the huge downtick moves we've seen, the huge uptick moves, I think that's fascinating as well. You are struggling with understanding what's going on in Ukraine, with COVID, in China, with your supply chains, with the Fed meeting next week and interest rates, with a whole host of things. Plus that valuation argument I just made as well. I I don't envy you out there trying to make money. It is very hard, especially if you're professional and and to be honest though, you paid loads for it or whatever. Uh, Okay, yesterday's move, this is it here. Uh, We're up 1.9%, again, a a huge move. One of the biggest moves we've seen to the upside this year. But the month today, oh, I have to undo my button on this, but you know how it goes. Down 2.2% on the Dow, but there was more extreme moves uh, on some of the other indices. So let's have a look at the S&P 500, first of all, as well. Uh, Up 2.5% yesterday, again, for the week, you wouldn't even notice we've had four of the most volatile sessions on the book. We're up 0.4% for the week, but actually for the month, I'm not going to keep undoing my buttons, you just have to see more on my tummy. Uh, 5.4% down on the S&P. Again, we used to have a colleague, uh, her name is Becky, she was in, in Hill, she like dwarfed me as well. She became a firefighter, would you believe, anyway. But, but I mean, she could reach that, she could actually reach the top of the wall, no problem. But I, I'll struggle, they'll, they'll give me a step, I think. Uh, the NASDAQ though is where you saw some extreme action as well. And I do want to show you the NASDAQ month today, because look, this rally yesterday, I'll, Come over here, then Rod will follow me. Uh, 3% higher yesterday. Again, a stunning rally. But put it in context, again, week-to-date, uh, week-to-date, week today, the Nasdaq's nothing, 0.3%. What were you worried about that VIX position for? Uh, you didn't have any, only any premium, did you? Because it hasn't moved. Don't trade your gamma too aggressively if you're short. That's all I can say. So we're down 10% pretty much, give or take the change. A correction move on on the month so far as well. And again, I I think it's great, especially for the NASDAQ, because I think you have some real concerns out there that you've just been following a big momentum trade for the last couple of years. Oh, it's growth, buy it. Oh my goodness me, they reckon they're going to have 8 trillion subscribers, buy it. But you didn't look at the business model necessarily. I understand that. Momentum trading is a very powerful force as well. So some of these tech companies, have had the most amazing moves. I think we've got an eight-chip board now that uh, Britt and the team have put together for me as well. So let's have a quick look at that. Should be no surprise to the producers that I was asking for it. Here we go, (laughs) okay. So these are the month-to-date moves. And my goodness me, look at that. I mean, if you really wanted to see a a pair, and I'm sure some of you have got this pair, actually, 47% lower as people reassess, hopefully, a post-COVID world for Netflix. But look at that, 27% higher for Twitter. Now we know that there are other things going on at Twitter. We know that they'd already had a massive decline and they haven't redressed all of that. We know that Mr. Musk may or may not be buying this company at the moment, it looks like he is buying it. There are those of us in the market who question the rationale, who question the business model, who question the revenues generated and then the profits. And then the debt's attached to the uh, company once Mr. Musk has bought it as well, so very interesting. Um, We can look at Apple is down 6.3%, Microsoft down 6%, uh, and the likes of Amazon as well, and Alphabet. Look, they're down 11% Amazon. They were down 14% Alphabet. That doesn't mean that Alphabet Microsoft, and we'll speak to Mark Horton about this in a moment, Alphabet and Amazon doesn't mean they're bad companies. Let's be honest about it, they're pretty brilliant companies. But you're just reassessing what you're prepared to pay for that growth going forward. Is that growth being dented? The answer is yes. Is it challenged? Yes, by course. no doubt about it. But Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft and Apple, they're gonna be around. They're huge companies doing very, very well, despite the fact, of course, uh, Amazon and Apple, for instance, uh, had a pretty troubled 24 hours. Alphabet, the same as well. Microsoft, I mean, God, they're just cleaning up a lot of these companies, but again, what do you wanna pay for it? What do you wanna pay for what those companies are giving you, what they've given the S&P as well? because they are a huge part of that now, around about 20%. Futures look like this. You don't know this, but I'm actually walking towards the camera now because I can't see a blooming thing from that distance as well. So look, that's a very flat start to trading uh, for the US indices, which after hours, of course, have seen some absolutely extraordinary moves as well. And I'll tell you about those now. Uh, Amazon shares slumped over 9% in extended trade, After the e-commerce giant posted its first quarterly loss in 2015, you have to dig in a bit because a lot of that loss, well, it was basically driven by a $7.6 billion loss related to its investment in EV startup Rivian. And that is exactly my point, ladies and gentlemen. You have to look at the companies and Amazon, They are cleaning up on AWS, but there are other parts of the business where you always have wondered, Jeff and I have, that's for sure, about the valuation of something, dare I say it, like Rivium, which quite frankly was valued at higher than vast amount of the OEMs, the traditional car makers, for a large part of the last couple of years. Amazon posted a 7% rise though in revenue, which is the slowest rate for any quarter since the dot-com bust in 2001. But the tech giant also issued a second quarter revenue forecast that missed expectations. This is where the glory was, though. Sales at Amazon's cloud unit, AWS, top forecast. What do you think the sales grew? 30? Oh, it's on the screen. (laughs) 36.5% higher for AWS. I mean, if ever there was a a rationale for having e-commerce plus cloud services, that figure on the right, ladies and gents, is it. Speaking to analysts, the CFO, Brian Olsowski, warned that inflationary pressures will persist for some time.
3: Line-haul air and ocean shipping rates continue to be at or above the rates in the second half of last year, which were already much higher than pre-COVID levels. Some of this is due to the impact of the Omicron variant in China and labor shortages at point of origin. And the start of the war in the Ukraine has contributed to high fuel prices. Combined with the year-over-year increases in wage inflation, these inflationary pressures have added approximately $2 billion of incremental costs when compared to last year while well, we will continue to look for ways to mitigate these costs, we expect they will be around for some time.
4: Well, shares in Apple fell over 2% in after-hours trading. This is the iPhone maker warned that it could take a hit between four and $8 billion in the current quarter due to supply chain issues. Apple also cautioning that the ongoing COVID lockdowns in China are are hitting demand for its products. The warning from Apple took the shine off a set of results that topped almost all of its key metrics, while it authorised a $90 billion share buyback programme and hiked its dividend by 5%. The CEO, Tim Cook, outlined to analysts how he expects the supply chain issues to play out.
2: We see two causes of supply constraints. Uh, one is the COVID-related disruptions, and there's the industry-wide silicon shortages that will continue. Uh, we've estimated the constraints to be in the range of four to eight billion, and if you these these constraints are primarily centered around the Shanghai corridor. And the the uh, on a positive uh, front, almost all of the affected final assembly factories have now restarted.
4: Tim Cook from Apple there. Let's bring in Mark Horton, then, Investment Director at GAM. Mark, great to see you this morning. Thanks for joining us. Such an important story today. We obviously got a 3% plus rebound in the Nasdaq overnight in some of these, in spite of some of these individual stories, uh, sending stocks lower. What does that 3% represent, if anything? Is there uh, a bear market bounce here or is this a reassessment of the opportunity in tech stocks?
0: Uh, morning, Jeff. Well, that's the um, that's the million-dollar question, really, I think. Um, I think that the sell-off had been pretty sharp and pretty fast, um, and markets generally are struggling to reprice risk in a rising rate and, and a rising inflation uh, environment. And so we're seeing these very sharp uh, daily and even intraday uh, moves. Now, I think the, the key catalyst, perhaps, yesterday was um, a better print than the market had expected in Facebook earnings the night before. Um, and it's, it's fascinating because some of these companies now, as um, Steve was saying, are starting to look quite cheap because they've sold off pretty aggressively. So Facebook, whatever you think about the company, if you adjusted it for uh, the, um, uh, the losses on their metaverse investment and for their cash pile, Trading pre-yesterday, it was pretty much on a single digit P.E. multiple. So it wasn't going to take a great deal for the market to want to try and bounce the name. And I think that was one of the key catalysts for getting the bounce we had yesterday. I'm not sure it's sustainable.
4: Okay, very interesting in your notes. You say FANG is dead. Manta is uh, the new acronym that we need to work with. Manta, including Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA, Tesla and Apple. Clearly that points to differentiators between these stocks and those that made up the old FANG acronym. Can you spell those out for us and explain why they matter now as investors need to choose or select stocks perhaps on the basis of pricing power or indeed on a uh, fact that they sell on a B2B model rather than a B2C. What is it that makes these stocks different and more interesting
0: than those that made up the Fang acronym? I think the key is that the rising tide doesn't lift all boats any longer. So uh, within Fang, the first name to really look at carefully is uh, Netflix, which, as we know, is down 40% on its print. Um, I've never really considered Netflix to be a winner-takes-all type platform player, Um, and it is clearly suffering from um, not only the reopening, the post-Covid trade, um, but also structurally from competitive pressure, from uh, streaming content being produced by many other players. Um, And therefore, that is a company which has potentially gone uh, very much X growth at least for the time being, and for the first time will have a very significant decline uh, in new subs for the next quarter. Um, So that's one example. Manta also takes away the two advertising names, Google and Facebook. Um, I think one of the most important things here is that we don't yet know um, how the market will treat some of these companies in a downturn environment. None of these companies really existed in any form of maturity in the last downturn in the financial crisis in 2008-9. So we maybe are going to get our first look at this and really. Digital advertising is now uh, reasonably mature. And so on that basis, uh, there's a strong argument to be made that if we see a downturn, and we see advertising globally turning down, then Google and Facebook will not be immune to that uh, any longer because of that level of maturation. And I think that's one of the reasons why those two names look very cheap, because the market is anticipating maybe a downturn in advertising and much lower growth for those two names going forward.
1: Mark, everything you and Jeff have talked about so far is fascinating. The manta and indeed the test in the downturn as well. But, but these are supposed to be structural innovators. Well, they are structural innovators. They are ripping up the old way of doing business in many ways. Do you think we're at a stage actually where a lot of that innovation is, is well understood by the market now, is well priced by the market, and actually they can't rely on the structural story to offset what you and Jeff were just talking about there with the, what is the cyclical story that even central banks can't defy forever?
0: I think that is exactly right. I think that these companies were huge innovators and disruptors. They've attacked significant markets like advertising in the case of Google and Facebook, like retail in the case of Amazon. But at some point, they reach a size and a level of maturity, which means that they move more in line with the macro um, tail and headwinds. And I think that's where we are with many of these names. Um, and it's why, from an investment perspective, um, I think there's potentially uh, a lot more interest in the next wave of opportunity. We call it digital 4.0, um, but it's the disruption of things like healthcare and financials and industrials and transportation. Um, I think these platforms are certainly beginning uh, to reach a level of maturity which will make returns uh, not a given in the same way that they used to be in the past, and they will definitely be more subject to. Uh, macro uh, developments
1: Mark we've got to a stage where we have the titans we have uh, some might argue the oligopolies the the equivalent of what we saw at the start of the the 20th century with your, your JP Morgans your Rockefellers and what have you as well is there a challenge a serious challenge to those mantas those fangs what have you from those other companies that potentially could come up the rails or will these companies remain in these positions of strength and actually just buy out growth where they find it
0: So I think they're going to remain strong companies. One of the um, key features uh, is they benefit from the network effect. And they're all big, uh, you know, they're all big network players and therefore network winners. So they're going to retain a strong position. And as long as they invest sensibly, um, they can maintain that position going forward. But I just think that, you know, the growth opportunity just is not as large as it was for them. So I think they'll still outpace growth in general and there'll be very interesting uh, investment opportunities and they'll still provide very solid returns for investors. Um, But I think if you're looking for those outsized returns that you've had from these companies over the last 10 years, then you need to look elsewhere, as I've suggested in this sort of digital four theme.
4: Mark, can I ask you then about um, the potential for surprises or reversals? Because, Obviously, these companies have been incredibly sensitive to the Federal Reserve tightening the cost of money and the impact of that on the money supply numbers. Um, So we've seen that correlation uh, with the Nasdaq and with these tech stocks more broadly. If for any reason we find that the Fed now backs away from the implied interest rate hikes because of things like the, the drop in the GDP print that we saw overnight, is there uh, an opportunity here for a rebound basically just on the kind of momentum Steve mentioned uh, at the top of the show rather than any belief in the fundamentals? Uh,
0: yes, I, I think there definitely is. Um, you know, there's a very strong correlation between money supply and the building of the Fed balance sheet um, with the performance of, of, of these names. And so I think any clear sign that there's a backing off by the Fed will be taken positively, particularly now, because many of these names really do look very cheap. You know, outside these very big cap names that we're talking about, there are plenty of very innovative companies whose share prices have fallen 50 60 even 70% over the last six months. And some of those companies are, you know, really fascinating uh, mid, medium and long-term opportunities. Uh, and so I think any sign that we get um, a less hawkish, uh outlook we'll definitely see uh, a bounce in those names
4: uh briefly could you name any of those uh, companies that you you're thinking about
0: um i'm not going to name individual names but they sit within um sectors like cybersecurity, um and then the sort of internet of everything the way in which the next wave is going to attack healthcare financials Uh, industrials and and transportation, as as, as I've already mentioned. It's in different segments of the market than the winners of the last 10 years. I think that's the key for me.
4: Brilliant, Mark. Thank you very much indeed. I think you've given enough clues that our audience know where they need to go and do their forensic work. Great to have you on the programme this hour. Mark Horton joining us from GAM. Uh, Moving on, um, more focus on the tech stock. Shares in Meta rallied in yesterday's session topping the Nasdaq after the company posted better than expected first quarter profit. That rally came despite the company missing out on quarterly revenue estimates. The stock is still down about 40 percent year to date. Intel shares moving lower in extended trade after the chipmaker offered disappointing guidance for the second quarter. The U.S. tech business beating analysts' revenue expectations posting 18.3 billion dollars in sales. But the company forecasts lower revenues for the upcoming quarter due to weaker demand for desktop PC and laptop chips. Uh, Our U.S. colleagues will be speaking to the CEO, Pal Gelsinger, later today. Uh, Tune in for that interview at 1700 Central European time. I think that's Pat Gelsinger, uh, who will be up at 1,700 CET. Steve.
1: Right, OK. What kind of revenues can you expect in the first quarter for a company valued to wait for it, $44 billion? The answer is $1.2 billion. That's slightly missing expectations in what could be uh, one of Twitter's last reports, could be... Some of us have our questions there before it's taken private. The social media giant added 229 monetizable daily active users. Uh, did they add that many or is that how many they've got in total? Okay, Uh, A near 16% rise from the same period last year. The uh, group declined to provide guidance for the full year. In the meantime, Elon Musk has sold over $4 billion worth of Tesla shares, according to an SEC filing. Mr Musk did not disclose whether he was going to use the proceeds to help him financially take over Twitter, but did take to the platform to say... No further stock sales were planned. The move comes after Musk said he would raise as much as $12.5 billion in loans uh, against his Tesla stock to fund his $44 billion bid to take Twitter private. Before you do your tease, Jeff, I have a question for you. And I don't know if you fancy a $50 bet for charity. Uh, I'm not sure that Mr. Tusk... Tusk? (laughs) Mr. Musk even. That's a different person, Mr. Tusk. He used to be uh, running the EU. I'm not sure Mr. Musk uh, is going to buy Twitter. (laughs) And I would (laughs) wager £50 to a charity of your choice that he doesn't go through with it. There you go.
4: Um, Yeah, I'm not prone to making um, expensive bets on air, Steve, to be honest with you. But um, I take the point that, yeah, maybe there is a good chance that uh, this deal won't go through. Although it does seem to have a little bit of momentum and and you don't just go out and sell four billion of your own stock for no reason at all, do you? So he does seem to have some conviction. The other thing that I think is interesting about this is that there are quite a lot of people, particularly existing shareholders, who'd like to see this deal go through at this price. So um, it's going to be fascinating to watch it unfold. Um, but no, I'm not going to take you bet at this point. Coming up on the program, U.S. GDP growth shrinks in the first quarter, uh, but things may not be as bad as it seems. We're going to break down the data and point to some of the underlying strength that we see in spending. We'll be right back. Everybody stay with us.
1: I know for a fact that he's on the same page as me, because I, I noticed the way Mr. Cartmore nuanced his uh, point about the U.S. economy uh, just before the break. So I'll just do the read quickly, then we'll get to the same place. Uh, the U.S. economy unexpectedly shrank in the first quarter for the first time Since early in the pandemic, growth contracted 1.4% from the preceding quarter. The decline was driven by a ballooning uh, trade deficit as domestic demand continued to be strong, though. That's the point, isn't it? Consumer spending rose 2.7% on an annualised basis. But the key here, and I think this is where Jeff's coming in as well, that there was enormous uh, growth in business investment. Business fixed investment surged 9.2% in the annualised first quarter. The latest Labour statistics also offered a silver lining with jobless claims continuing to fall uh, for the week. Uh, ending April 23rd. And therein lies the point, Jeff. In the fourth quarter, an annualised figure of nearly 7% growth has just been doused a little bit uh, with the first quarter figure. The market was unfazed, or was the market quite excited in some ways? Because if they saw the headline figure and thought, oh, negative figure, maybe we're not going to get such a sharp incline uh, in rates as we previously expected. But of course, the Fed decision and the jobless figures, both due next week, 50 basis points nailed on. I thought these figures were quite encouraging once you look beneath the bonnet.
4: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. Um, the problem, of course, uh, is the eight and a half percent inflation number, isn't it? And if you were just to look at these figures uh, in the raw, it would look like stagflation, eight and a half percent inflation and uh, negative one uh, percent plus print on um, growth. Sounds stagflationary, doesn't it? Until, as you say, you look under the bonnet and then you actually see that there were quite a lot of positives here and the reasons for that drop in GDP quite explicable based on inventories and supply chain issues. Um, the uh, challenge, it, it seems to me, then for investors is, is is the same challenge we've had for most of the year here, just working through the exceptionals and trying to understand what the fundamentals are and how robust they will remain, given that we've got the headwinds of inflation Interest rate rises. And of course, the Russia-Ukraine war, Steve.
1: Yeah, big focus on inflation on both sides of the uh, Atlantic as well. Um, The latest French CPI was actually obviously nowhere near those figures, but it was up 4.5% a couple of weeks ago. So they've got the same pressures in Europe, but we've got negative rates. 4.5% inflation, CPI over in France. Apparently, according to a lot of the policymakers, if you listen to them, uh, they will tell you that it's all down to supply issues. But I think we're getting a more nuanced issue, as we heard from Mr. Visco yesterday from the Central Bank of Italy, and indeed from the likes of Isabel Schnabel uh, over at the Bundesbank as well. That we are maybe seeing uh, a bit of a moving of that supply dynamic to the demand side as well. Right? Do you want to know what happened to French GDP in the first quarter? Yes, you do. Okay. Domestic demand x inventories contributed a negative point. 6% uh, potential points to the first quarter GDP. But the GDP was um, flat, basically, according to uh, my table as well. In the first quarter 2022, flat as a pancake. Imports up 1.1%. Household spending, interestingly, ahead of the election, negative 1.3%. Flat government spending as well, which is a change, let's be honest about it, because the uh, share of the state spending as a percent of GDP, circa 60% now. Bear in mind, the uh, president uh, five years ago said he was going to get it down to 50%, but I think there have been a few exceptional circumstances. Exports up 1.5%, household spending down 1.1%. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
3: Or join us again on this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.